Welcome to our program on Kardec Radio. Hello, dear listeners from Kardec Radio. Here we are again on the air with another mediumship in the air. We are studying the book This Obsession by Francisco Cândido Xavier and Valdo Vieira, written by the spirit Andra Lewis. It is so amazing when we go through this book and we see the level of details that Andra Lewis goes in order to help us not to be distracted by anything. So in this, uh, we are going to be studying today the three chapters, 15, 16, and 17, where he talks about furniture, chairs, and lightning. Yes, the spirit under Lewis goes uh, deep in, the, in those subjects. So in order to help us to be not to be distracted by exterior things that in a way can actually jeopardize the meeting. So let's say what he says here in chapter 15, furniture usage in the meeting. The furniture in the room where the disobsession meeting is to take place must be void of anything that may be associated with ritualistic ideas and amulets, such as symbols and idols of any kind, but must also be composed of simple, sturdy furniture. This is very interesting because, you know, in Spiritism, we worship the spirits that have reached, of course, a certain level of evolvement. There are our brothers and sisters who have evolved before us and come now to help us. But we do not make them saints. We, we honor their value and the work they have done. But it's not because of that that we are going to put them in frames and starting idolizing them. Sometimes when we see an image or a frame of a certain spirit in a, in a spiritist center, it's more, you know, like a reminder for uh, the participants uh, to remember that they are in a spiritist center and to remember that this is one of the spirits that may actually help in the works of that house. But everything is have to be completely devoid of ritualistic ideas. So we are not going to be putting crosses, images that will resemble any other belief, not because we do not uh, value other beliefs. All beliefs are equally important and they can lead people actually to find their spiritual nature and uh, to nourishing them spiritual values. So, but of course in the Spiritism we know that the most important thing is the mind, is our heart, is how we are going to associate, it with, associate with the spirits, uh, with Jesus, with our, uh, our Creator. So it is a very simple 
uh, environment. For this same reason, we have sometimes problem with uh, people that come to participate because by not uh, resembling a temple, many people think that they are just uh, <laughs> going to someone's home. And this is not the case. This is a sacred place. The Spiritist Center, the Spiritist Organization is a sacred place, regardless of its architecture or regardless of the inner decoration or symbols uh, that, uh, or images that we have or, or not have in there. Okay, so we have to remember that, that it's not because it is a simple place that is not frequented by highly evolved spirits. So he goes on by saying, the table must be solid and the chairs preferably made of wood, resembling those found in a respectable home and without unnecessary adornments. Of course, you know, when uh, uh, Andrea Lewis talks about uh, uh, chairs made of wood, uh, this book was, uh, was written in the 60s. Uh, and so, of course, uh, that was what prevailed at that time. And uh, as we will see in the next chapter, uh, it doesn't matter whether the, 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 the chairs are wood or not, they have to have a certain characteristic that we will see in the next chapter. chapter. If anything is to be added, let it be two wooden benches or chairs to be used by the occasional visitors or for the magnetic passes. It can also be used to assist a member of the group who may possibly need passes that will be placed outside the ambience formed around the table generated by the communion of thoughts. So, we, uh, if, if we, uh, besides the, the table and the chairs, we may have extra chairs in case we need to assist one of the participants that for whatever reason may not be feeling too well that day and may be in need of receiving passes or if we are going to receive a visitor. Sometimes, you know, we, when we talk about visitors, we are not talking about uh, any person that just decides that uh, would like to experience what a mediumship meeting is and out of curiosity. We are talking about people that come from other groups perhaps to observe our work, for them to analyze the work that they are doing or they are about to start. Um, we are talking about visitors that may come from other parts of the state uh, other states of the country or even other countries uh, that may come uh, to gather uh, values input on the on their work and sometimes even to help us in our work uh, giving you know uh, helping uh, helping us to sort it out or how to perhaps uh, organize our meeting better in a better way. So those are the visitors we are talking about. We are never saying here that anyone that just wants to participate uh, will just come and we will allow them to come. Okay. 
And um, the last paragraph of this chapter, Andrew Lewis says, we should avoid mats, jars, pictures, or other ornaments. We must not forget that the place is consecrated above all to the comfort of the suffering or truly demented spirits and who need a clean and simple atmosphere in order to forget the illusions or unhappy experiences they had lived while on earth. It's interesting because uh, before his time, Andrea Lewis is ta here talking about visual pollution, right? Uh, we know that th when there are many images, many things around us, it, it can be very stressful, even if we do not perceive that consciously speaking. So when dealing with spirits that are suffering, with spirits that are somehow demented, the more the ambience is simple, the better it's going to be for those, those spirits. Why does he talk about jars? It, this is an important thing because we all know about uh, the magnetized water, blessed water. Uh, we have this practice on spiritual centers where we leave a jar, a bottle of water to be magnetized and blessed by the highly evolved spirits so we can all drink, uh, sip from that later. Um, but when we are talking about a mediumship meeting, because we never know exactly the nature of the spirit that is going to communicate and perhaps if it moves uh, with a little more vigor, it may um, uh, shake the table, make the water spill, and then it's going to be a distraction for everyone and it's going to affect the communication. So this is the reason why it says have nothing on the table uh, except perhaps from for, from the books uh, of the, the 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 books of prayer, the codification, uh, something that may be used during the meeting, but it's not going to be a cause of any disturbance. So let's see now chapter sixteen when he talks about the chairs. So. The chairs to be used in the disobsession meetings merit an additional mention. Avoid the use of any chair that may be conducive to sleep, as well as those that lack a back support, as in the case of uncomfortable stools. So Andre Lewis knows the human nature. After all, he was incarnated himself many times. So when we sit in a very comfortable chair, we may relax a bit too much and it may lead us to sleep. Why is that? Sometimes people ask, oh my God, every time I get into the spiritual center, I feel so asleep. Well, normally I say that there are two reasons why we may feel asleep. One of, or actually three, one of them is lack of interest. Okay, and of course, in the case of a mediumship meeting of a worker, this should not happen at all. You are there out of your own volition. So if you feel that this is not the work for you, just 
you know, remove yourself from this work and participate in other works of the spiritual center. But, you know, overall, it can be the lack of interest or it can be a process of obsession when we are uh, under the the influence of spirits that are spiritually attached to us and will try to lead us to drowsiness, to sleepiness, because they do not want us to participate and to pay attention. And another reason is that the the, oh, the whole ambience, because like we were saying before, being a very clean room, normally the, the color of the walls are very, uh, are, are in, in a, a pale shade, uh, then we have the music, the soft music playing, and all that uh, atmosphere and energy of uh, blessed fluids that come from the the benefactors so we may feel really well and relaxed but it doesn't mean that we have to lose our conscience or that we have to go into a sleep, right? And so in this case, in a mediumship meeting, it can happen as well. We have uh, the light image. We have uh, sometimes people use music, some others don't use it, but it's a very calm and filled with uh, good energy. So let us pay attention not to sleep. And one of the things that may help in this process is, of course, not having two comfortable chairs. On the other hand, we are not saying, you know, to have chairs that you feel like you're being tortured or stools, like they say, where you cannot have, you will not have any, any back support, okay? So he continues, let us use heavily built chairs in order to prevent falls or excessive movement so common in mediums during transcommunication. Constructed with simplicity and with a high back to provide a firm support for the workers engaged in the spiritual assistance to our distraught brothers and sisters residing beyond the physical plane. Then again, heavily built chairs because of course when a spirit manifests if it, we are talking about uh, an obsessor or if we are talking about a suffering spirit they may move a lot uh, on the chair and so if the chairs are not uh, heavily built uh, the medium may be at risk of falling from the chair the chair may 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 break so we cannot uh, allow that to happen. I mean, we have to anticipate this kind of things. So uh, it is important for this reason to choose well the, the material and the chairs we are going to use. He goes and say as well, avoid noisy chairs that may cause unnecessary disturbance or interference in the ambience. You know, any sudden noise or, 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 or disagreeable noise may be 
uh, may interfere in the meeting, may distract the participants, uh, may interfere with the energy of the, the place. So this is another thing that we have to pay attention that we know, and this is the reason why Andra Lewis dedicates one entire chapter of this book to talk about chairs. Who would thought that when we are talking about medianship, medianship meetings, we have to study or to learn about choosing chairs, right? Uh, it's, it's, I, I think it's extraordinary, actually, you know, when I think about uh, how careful and how loving the spirits are, you know, by helping us, you know, we, it, the work is hard enough for us to be distracted with other things or to be at risk of, you know, falling from a chair. So they come and they go into those kind of details to help us. It, it's so amazing. Thank you so much, Andrea Lewis and Chico Xavier for, you know, all the, the work that uh, uh, you did together that helps us, enlighten us so much in this quest. And now, in chapter 17, Andrea Lewis is going to talk about lighting. Yeah, lighting is also important. So let's see here what Andrea Lewis says. In the initial phase of the work, in order to facilitate the setting up of the room, as well as the initial study, it will, of course, be fully lit. Sure, when people are arriving, when we are putting everything together, of course, trying never to make too much noise or because we have to remember the spirits are there much earlier than we are. They have already prepared all the part that concerns to them and we should come and get into the room with the utmost respect and try to do what we have to do on our part, on the physical part, with, uh, with care and, and trying not to make noises or engaging in, in, in vain conversations, just preparing everything. And of course, in order for us to do that, the room should, the lightning should be the, uh, lit, the, the lit, right? I mean, we have to have lights to see what we are doing. However, just before saying the initial prayer, the director of the meeting will lower the lightning in the room to one or two lamps. Why do we normally do that? One of the reasons that we do that is actually to help people to concentrate. You know, uh, we said uh, before, the, the room is very simple. So even if we do not have anything to distract us, uh, by lowering the lights, we have even less. We are not going to be paying attention at each other, what our others are wearing or not, the way one is sitting on the chair or not, or you know anything that can distract us. And of course, in this sense, it's like you know. Uh, uh, we program ourselves to get into a state of deeper concentration by lowering the, the light, right? 
the lightning. So this should preferably be read and of a low voltage, approximately 15 watts. The reason being that the emission of intense rays interfere with the formation of the beneficial potential resources mentally created and manipulated by the spiritual mentors in charge of the ongoing work of assistance with the help of the mediumistic resources of the team. Let us translate this into English. Uh, what is Andrea Lewis saying here? The reason being that the emission of intense rays interferes with the formation of the beneficial potential resources mentally created and manipulated by the spiritual mentors. He's talking about ectoplasm. Ectoplasm can, that can be very sensitive to certain kinds of light. And uh, so that's why we lower, when we are doing this kind of service, we lower the lightning in order not to affect this, uh, the potential curative benefits of the ectoplasma, of the energy the spirits are going to be utilizing to help everyone and when i say everyone i'm saying the disincarnates and the incarnates alike during the meeting so there will be a release of ectoplasma on the part of those that are participating some people may have more than others but it it doesn't really matter the thing is that is going to happen and the spirits may uh, also may may bring to us uh, other energies and with that in order to assist the suffering spirits that are going to communicate and even to assist us during the communications or during the meeting as well so this is the reason why when we talk about lightning is also very important and he recommends us not to go over 15 watts and if possible also to use red lights because the emission of the red light actually is even less damaging to ectoplasma and he goes on saying the lamps should be situated away from the table in order to avoid accidents. In the case that electricity is not available, the director will diminish the brightness of the room by whatever lightning system is being used. So again, here we see how uh, Andrea Lewis uh, again advert us about the possibility of having anything on the table that may fall and may be a disturb cause a disturbance during the meeting so not to put the lamp or something that can fall and break uh, we will have uh, we will be careful with that as well uh, in case there is no electricity well sometimes we may 
have a blackout. We even have a blackout here in in New York City. So um, we will deal with what we have at hand and continue the, the meeting. I imagine that now you are thinking, what about people that uh, conduce or uh, have their mediumship meetings during the day? What about those lightning? Uh, we are talking about natural light and the, the, the sun rays do not interfere with the ectoplasm. Uh, so we do not have to worry if we are not completely in darkness. And of course we will have a curtain, we will have a, a things to make the room as dark as possible, more to help us in our concentration. So there is not no emission of of energy that is artificial uh, that comes from you know the electrical power that may interfere with the ectoplasm so you can have your meetings during the day and there is no problem with that as well okay so now uh, we are going to do our prayer Thanking the good spirits, the benefactors that help us and assist us in learning more on how we can better establish a communication between these two worlds. We may be here incarnate with a physical body, but we are all spirits. We are all brothers and sisters. And we are very thankful for all the instructions we have been receiving from dedicated spirits, from dedicated benefactors, such as Chico Xavier, and Andra Lewis and so many others that help us and assist us in this journey of spiritually grow, growing and we thank our brother Jesus for all the teachings and our heavenly creator for the blessings for the opportunities we are having in this lifetime to know better and to apply the spiritual concepts in our daily lives. May our loved ones receive the benefits of this blessing as well. And may we continue our studies next week. Thank you for listening to Kardec Radio, broadcasting live every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Email us and share your comments at www.kardecradio.com. Until next time, we wish you many blessings.
Welcome to our program on Kardec Radio. Welcome to Spiritist Awareness on Kardec Radio. Dear listener, I'm Luis Marat, and welcome to the Gospel and Spiritism segment, Virkadek Radio. Dear friend, century after century, the world has seen the religious mistakes invade strong institutions and society itself. How many of us, in the name of Jesus' teachings, have made deplorable mistakes? How many of us have fought in the name of the one who is called the Prince of Peace? But with the afterlife teachings, Jesus' proposals become much more plausible, much more possible, and why not say, much more probable, since what many of us up to this moment thought Jesus' teachings were just a matter of religion, come to a serious conclusion. Jesus did not come here to found another sectarian religion. He is a very powerful spirit that came to unveil to us the basic ethical laws of life. And to add to this, to his teachings, the, spirit, the spirits nowadays come to explain to us that those laws, at first unconceivable to us, because they, were, they are more visible in the spiritual realms, are real laws that work just like the law of gravity, influencing our lives in a very strong and precise way. So if for a long time someone who called themselves Christian could dare to raise their hand to hurt, to look down on others, to denigrate others in the name of Christ, well, that person cannot do this in the name of the Prince of Peace anymore. The Spirit's teachings make it all very clear to us, explaining that in the higher realms of life, ethics is the most important currency the highest materialization of the most important law, which is love. The Spirit André Louise talks to us about what these Christians, supported by the afterlife teachings, can do if they want to be called Christians nowadays for the future generations. The message is entitled Always Called Through the Mediumship of Chico Xavier. Listen. Christians are called to serve everywhere. In a house of suffering, they administer consolation. In a den of ignorance, they will offer enlightenment. In a castle of pleasure, they will teach moderation. On the brink of criminality, they will impede the falls. In a carabank of generic abuse, they will exemplify sobriety. In dark hideways, they will kindle the light. In the fog of despondency, they will open the doors of encouragement. In the inferno of hatred, they will multiply the blessing of love. In the marketplace of malice, they will distribute goodness. In the courts of justice, they will put themselves in the place of the accused, so that he may examine the errors of others. 
At every turn of the path, we encounter suggestions from the Lord, challenging us to serve. Thank you. Father and his son were hiking in a mountain that was full of caves. When unexpectedly the son fell down and he got hurt. Naturally he screamed and then he heard another voice screaming. Then he asked, Who are you? And the voice, Who are you? Then he said, Come out. And the voice again said, Come out. He kept going on with his dialogue back and forth when his father arrived. The father asked, Why do you look so troubled, son? And he said, I don't understand. And there is a man inside that cave, and I keep asking him to come out, and he simply keep repeating exactly what I'm saying. The father said, I see. Let me try. Hello. And then, of course, they heard. Hello. Then the father said, You coward. And the voice replied, You coward. He changed the message and now he said, You're smart. The voice replied, You're smart. You're intelligent. The voice replied, You're intelligent. The son now looked even more baffled. And he said, Father, I don't understand. Can you tell me what's going on? The father said, Most people call it echo. I call it life. Because everything you say or do will come back to you. Our existence is nothing but a huge echo. What we think, say, and do will come back to us. To have wisdom, then, is to choose wisely our thoughts, words, and action. Our future is constantly being shaped by what we say, by what we think, by what we do. Therefore, let your mind be full of healthy thoughts, and that will create your harmony. Let your mouth be full of optimistic words, that will create happiness. Let your actions be full of good deeds, because that will create your peace. Hello, dear friends. We are here with 30 days of good news with the Master. This is day 9. Day 9 about chapter 9. Old and young. Mm, old and young. Can you believe it? In the good news, we have good news about age. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating, right? And we're saying this because we have a lot to learn. This is a therapeutic journey with the Master, Master Christ Jesus. And it's an opportunity for all of us to be together, united, and reflecting deeply, deeply, deeply about the opportunity of rebalancing ourselves. Hello, Adilson. Hello, Katia. So, friends, let me share with you. The opportunity of us to share this chapter 
is so illuminating. We're going to begin with the author of the book, Good News, Humberto de Campos, by talking about some of the habits in the community of Jesus' disciples. Hello, sunshine. So, let us read and enter the realm of Humberto de Campos in his description. Hello, Josara. It was not uncommon. In the small community of Jesus' disciples, the clash of opinions among the idealistic young followers. Often, the humble discipleship found itself divided in discussions in regard to future projects. It's very interesting. Hi, Solange. Hello, Angelita. It's very interesting to note, dear friends, that when Humberto de Campos is describing to us these clashes of opinions amongst the disciples themselves, he tells us something. Today we had a beautiful talk at uh, our new group in Washington, D.C., New Spiritist Group. Eddie Christie from uh, New York, who attends both the Inner Enlightenment Spiritist Society and the Spiritist Group of New York, he was talking about truth, goodness, and beauty. And he brought to us a very interesting take on diversity. He said that diversity is in the eyes of our Creator. He created us differently. And often we struggle with the diversity that we live amongst ourselves. And we ask, why? If this is supposed to be like this? And he asked us a question. When we get to other levels, or other levels like meaning pure spirits, do we expect that we're going to be alike everybody? Of course not. We can only understand it when we reach that level. So, and then he concludes, we need to train ourselves to appreciate, to see the beauty in diversity. And Eddie Christie is right. We really need to train ourselves to observe diversity and differences as a positive thing and not waste too much time clashing with the opinions of one another, right? How often do we do this in our daily lives? We're not going to do an exercise right now because we're going to read a little more before we go to exercise number one to a day. Thank you, sunshine, for your kindness and for your presence here too. Well, he says that while Peter and Andrew were listening to their colleagues with the naivety of their simple and sincere hearts, John, who was one of the youngest, spoke about the plans for the struggle that was to come. James, his brother, talked about the good use of his youth, while young Thaddeus made wonderful promises. And you know, we see that every day. People coming in, the new generations, and they often forget about the previous generations thinking, we're always going to be better, we're always going to reinvent the wheel. But we can't forget that we are going to build something new on top of what has already been built. 
So we appreciate it. We are considerate about it, but we move forward. Like science. As a scientist, that's what we do. We know that there were serious scientists doing research before us. When we have a PhD and we start doing research ourselves, we don't reinvent the wheel and say, I'm going to start from ground zero because I'm going to prove it myself. I remember somebody asking me this one day. Uh, I think it was one of my first workshops in the West Coast. I think it was the year 2002 when somebody asked me, I would like to start from ground zero and and do the same task that Kardec did so I can see it all by myself. What do you think, Vanessa? I, I said, I don't understand why, because scientifically, nobody does that. We actually go from where people have stopped, and then we continue. And that's why we accumulate knowledge instead of going always backwards. So the first question for us today is, out of vanity, out of egotism, out of egocentrism, how much are we trying to reinvent the will that people have already done before us? How much are we doing this? How much? Always? Like sometimes in our family? For example, we often see people who say, I'm never going to be like my dad, like my mom. But they don't study themselves. They don't do the inner journey to change themselves. And when they have children, they start repeating the same mistakes. When they get married, they start doing the same mistakes that they were trying to avoid for the longest time, which is also natural because we were kind of conditioned to do it. To not do it, we actually need to train ourselves. And to be training ourselves, we need first and foremost awareness. Awareness is the first and most important step to avoid any other route. Awareness is about like consciousness, knowing what we're doing. Simply saying, I'm not going to move to the right, but if I'm blind, how can I guarantee myself that I'm gonna, not going to turn to the right? So I need to open my eyes, consciousness, awareness, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel of life. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Hello, Rudy. Thank you so much for your kindness and for your support, too. Our group is appreciative of your loving kindness. Now, the young ones would say, we're young. We will visit the whole world. We will preach the gospel to the nations and renew the world. <laughs> Hello, Karen. They would leave Galilee as soon as the Master allowed them. They would preach the truths of the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, which was a place overflowing with prejudices and false interpreters of the divine thought. They were feeling strong and well prepared. They were breathing excitedly 
and they considered themselves the only disciples who were able to translate faithfully the new teachings. For long hours, they considered the possibilities and advantages of their plans. And they are talking about the young disciples. They debated about their grandiose projects, and they discussed amongst themselves what could be accomplished by Simon Peter, who was the head of a family and bound by his menial duties. Was not Matthew also snared by unavoidable daily responsibilities? Andrew and his brother listened to them without concern, so that they could meditate only about the lessons presented by the Messiah. So they would get together, which is okay. They are not doing anything wrong, but there is just a fallacy in their thinking. And often in our thoughts, there is a fallacy. There is a twisted point of view because we're biased. We're biased by our own experiences. Even science, physics, and psychophysics proves to us that our our opinions, our points of view, may influence the research we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it is. So, what happens to the other ones that are not young? For example, Simon the Zealot. He was the oldest one. Meanwhile, says Umberto de Campos, Simon, the former lake fisherman, who later was called the Zealot, listened to these conversations and felt humiliated. For those who are entering now, we're discussing chapter 9 of the book Boa Nova in English Good News, which is yet to be published. We're not reading everything. We're reading parts of it, but not necessarily exactly as it is. What is important for us is that this chapter is about old and young. The clash of opinions that happened because the young disciples were thinking that they were at greater advantage than the older ones. And this is so interesting because yesterday at Kardec Radio, we had a whole program answering questions that have been sent to us for the longest time by listeners on how to administer Spiritist Center. And one of the points that Carol, um, Adriano, and I discussed was exactly when people say, um... I'm going to step down from my roles as a director of the center because I need to give the new generation a new opportunity. I have never heard of such a thing. And this chapter will tell us that you don't need to step down from any role you have in your life to give room to the new generation because there is enough room on the earth for everybody to do whatever they need to do and you don't need to stop working. You know why? Faithfulness to God. Jesus never stepped down as Carol Correa told us yesterday at Kardec Radio. We don't need to step down. We never heard Jesus saying, Oh, you know, I'm going to step down from my position so you guys can do my work, okay? Of course, that doesn't make any sense that we're going to step down. We may change the dynamics of our, of our work as we age, but stop working, literally retiring and doing nothing, is going against the divine law of work, which is every useful occupation is work. Being useless, being idle, 
does not pertain to the compliance of the children of God. Right? Hello, Felipe and Rosemary, João Bosco. Hello, Julija. Beautiful kiss to you too. So, listening to the impassioned words of youth coming from John and James, the sons of Zebedee. Hello, Osvaldo. Simon the Zealot, older, the oldest of all of them, asked himself what would become of his humble efforts along with Jesus. He began to feel the sharp decline of his vital forces. His energy seemed to descend from a great mountain, but his spirit remained firm and vigilant, following the rhythm of life. He was strongly impressed with everything. So what did he do? He was doubtful. He was questioning himself. What do you do when you feel doubtful about something? What do you do? Yeah, that's, that's a, a quiz for us now. What do you do? You talk to a friend, a family member, a therapist, or you say a prayer, or you do nothing, just leave it alone and let life decide. Let's see the disciple who is faithful to his duties. Simon looked for the master. He looked for the master. We need to look for the master. To ask for help regarding the doubts that gone at his heart. Now, I'll meditate, Osvaldo. Right, exactly. And in the meditation, we meet Jesus. <laughs> by the way, by the way, there is in the CD, Health, by Divaldo Franco, inspired by the mentor Joana de Angelis. Vis Therapeutic Visualizations, Health, the third track is about meeting the master. Fantastic. You can buy it at uh, These are fantastic materials for all of us. But before I continue to see what Jesus is going to say, let me share something today. I learned today. I talked to a friend, and her name is Lisa. And she used to be a tour guide. And I asked her, I was curious, I said, you know, since Jesus is our guide and model, please tell me, because I don't know, what is to be a good guide, as tour guide? And what she shared with me was so surprising, because I think I've come to understand Jesus a little more. She said, Vanessa... The good tour guide is the one that is sensitive to the needs of the group he's guiding. I was surprised. I was surprised because you often think that the good tour guide is the one that is very knowledgeable about what he's guiding about. No, that's not it. The most important feature, says Lisa, is in the field of tour guiding, she says, is not knowing it all, but mainly being sensitive to the needs. And she gave me examples. She said, you know, you need to know the group you're guiding. You need to know the group you're guiding first and know their needs 
so you can guide them to what they want to achieve. Aha! So if Jesus is our guide and model, because he not only guides us, he shows us how to follow that path, which is beyond being a guide. But first, he's a guide. He's a guide. So as a guide, he must know us. He must, and I say must figuratively, he certainly knows us, knows our needs, and knows where we need to go and how we're going to go there. So, if he is our guide, we are in doubt, who do we search to clarify our doubts? Jesus. Because he already knows. It's like getting to the guide and saying, you know, remember I told you about I need to eat tonight with my family at a restaurant of uh, Chinese cuisine. And the guide's going to say, sure, let me take you there now. Let me show you the way. Let me give you the directions. Let me explain that there is this, that, and the other option. You see, always referring to the guide. Fantastic. I've never, I've never reflected in that direction. So after exposing his fears and hesitations, so that's another call for us. When we talk to Jesus, we share what we're feeling now. The fears and the hesitations. We're not going to be afraid like, I don't know, I'm not going to show to Jesus that I am feeling this. He knows us. But it's important that we go after, after his recommendations, his guidance. After exposing his fears and hesitations, Simon noticed that Jesus was looking at him without being surprised. Of course, why is he not surprised? Lisa told us, because he already knows us. He knows us. He knew Simon the Zealot. He's not surprised. As if he had full knowledge of Simon's emotions. You see how much Umberto de Campos talks about emotions? I'm sorry for those who want to defeat the the the. the the cause for working on our emotions, but we have no escape. We need to focus on learning about our emotions so we can change them. They are not the ultimate goal, but they are the, the pathway through which we transform ourselves. Simon said the master with devoted affection. Okay, I'm going to repeat because he says with devoted affection. I didn't sound like that. I'm not going to enact, but let us just modulate the tone. Simon, would it be possible for us to ask the age of our father? Remember this chapter about young and old, Simon being the oldest one and feeling like I'm going to be useless. I have to step down from my role so the young ones are going to do what they need to do. I am at disadvantage. And Jesus says, would it be possible for us to ask the age of our father? And if we were to measure time as if looking at an hourglass of human concerns, who would be the oldest of all of us? Ah, who would be the oldest? God. And did God step down so we work? 
did he stop working so we would work? It doesn't make any sense. Life in its earthly expression is like a grand tree. Childhood is its green branches. Youth is formed by its beautiful and fragrant flowers. Old age is the fruit of experience and wisdom. There are branches that die after the first keys of the sun and flowers that fall at the first breath of spring. The result, however, is always a blessing of the Almighty Father. The foliage is hope, the flower is promise, and the fruit is the result achieved. He's talking about childhood is hope, youthness is promise, and the fruit meaning the old age, adulthood, the fruit is the result achieved. Only the fruit holds sweet mystery of life whose source gets lost in the infiniteness of the divinity. While Simon the Zealot was meditating with sincere admiration about all these concepts, Jesus continued clarifying. Hello, Norma. He continued clarifying. Shedding light. Remember, the word clarification is very meaningful because it says shedding light on, on a subject that was obscure. Thank you for the love, Norma. Thank you. It feels good. This image can also be that of the life of the Spirit in its radiant eternity. The only difference here is that the branches and the flowers never die. They keep moving ahead to the fruit of edification. Given the spiritual greatness of life, human existence is a time for learning on the endless path of time. This brief period reflects what exists in entirety. That is why sometimes we see young people speaking like they have a millennial experience and the elders talking without reflection and without hope. Now, friends, let me share something with you. This discussion is about the old and the young. So, again, if you're going to step down from whatever role in life because you think the younger generation needs opportunity, you don't need to do that. There's room for everybody. Okay? So, we've never heard of Chico Xavier saying, Oh, I'm going to step down from my role so younger mediums can do their work. Or Divaldo Franco say, I'm going to stop giving lectures because there are so many young speakers who are doing an excellent job. Friends, our role is unique in life. Each of our roles, all of yours, mine, everybody, without exception. If you stop your work, you know what it means? It means you're stopping your car in the middle of a highway and you're going to cause accident not only for yourself but for everybody else who is coming behind you. We can't stop it. Not only in the religious, spiritual activities but anywhere, including family. I know people who are in their 80s and 90s, they're like, oh, well, what do I do every day? 
but to wait for my final days. Really? No. I'm not asking you. We are never asking anybody demanding that they do exactly what they did when they were 15. But come on. If you are here, we still need you to do something not only for you, but for everybody else in the Spirit's book. When Kardec asked this question about why do we need to reincarnate? And they say, to incarnate. Sorry, to reincarnate. Reincarnate. I forgot the number of the question. Please forgive me. I know it's in part two of the book, in the chapter that talks mostly about reincarnation. And uh, what is important for us is to know that they answered. We reincarnate because we need to learn new things. We need to redress previous mistakes and to fulfill our unique role in the universe. That third element is so vital. We often think we reincarnate because we did bad choices in the past. No, we reincarnate because we need to do, fulfill our, learn something new and fulfill a role that nobody else can in this world. What is your role in this universe? You are unique. How does it feel? I'm not saying mere words. That's how it is. And I know you're unique because you're different from everybody else. Though we have commonalities, but we're different. And diversity is in the eye of the beholder. So, Lord, is old age the goal of the Spirit? Asked the disciple movingly. Take it easy, Simon the Zealot. <laughs> Old age, please. Not necessarily. Let's see what Jesus replies to him. Not the sick and embittered old age that is known on the earth, but the old age with experience that builds love and wisdom. Aha! So we're getting older and question. Are we building love and wisdom? Vanessa, are you asking a quiz question? Yes. Quiz question. Are we building, as we're aging, in this incarnation, reincarnation, are we building love and wisdom? Or are we just playing games? Yeah, putting masks, playing games, being political everywhere we are in this world, in our families, in our religious settings, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. And just like children, I want this toy, I want another toy, and one more toy, and one more toy, just to tell everybody that I have all the possible toys and the newest gadgets of the universe. He's saying, as we age, we build love and wisdom. Here again, we must remember the symbol of the tree in order to recognize that the perfect fruit is recognized by the freshness of the branches and the beauty of the flower. Okay, the perfect fruit is recognized by the freshness of the branches and the beauty of the flower which contains the divine essence of honey and seed. 
Oh, Jesus. Very poetic, but very difficult. Very difficult. And I say very difficult because we really need to immerse ourselves in this analogy to feel it, to feel it. He says, again, we must remember the symbol of the tree to recognize the perfect fruit, the fruit. Freshness of branches, beauty of the flower, with the divine essence of honey and seed. Remember when he talked about the green branches being childhood, the flowers being youth, and later the fruits being, what is the fruit? Adulthood. Adulthood. Right? Yeah. So the perfect fruit has fresh branches and flowers around it, meaning we work together. Not alone. That's, did you know that Ellen Kardec, in his 55, 57 years of age, when he began the observations, the studies of Spiritism, he worked day in, day out with men and women who were mediums, but mostly the mediums were teenage girls. Mm -hmm. He was very advanced for his time. Very advanced. Realizing that the Master had portrayed his concepts in broad and symbolic images, the Apostle started to think about, again, his particular case and said, Lord, the truth is that I feel, I feel depleted of, of uh, an old and I'm afraid that I will not be strong enough to to do what I need to do and my soul demands and what my soul demands so I can disseminate the world the word of our, your holy doctrine Jesus with powerful serenity can we break this down powerful serenity have you ever heard of that expression in your life I have never powerful serenity because serenity seems to be so serene that powerful doesn't match with serenity in the same expression. <laughs> right? Yes. Hello, Daniel Castellani, Monica, Luciana. So let's think about this. Jesus replied with powerful serenity. What can we do to achieve this powerful serenity? When somebody is constantly there asking us, and asking us, and having doubts, and we are super serene. <laughs> In other words, powerful serenity. It's natural. It's like a good teacher. The students come and ask questions. They're not upset. By the way, Good teachers love students who ask many questions, many questions. So, Simon the Zealot was being a wonderful student. Listen, Simon, do you think that the youth of tomorrow will be able to accomplish anything without the work of those who are now aging? 
would the, the tree be able to live without its roots, the soul without God? Keep your mind focused on your effort. Keep your mind focused on your effort and do not worry about the work that belongs to the Almighty God. Do not stop working. I know a spirit center in Brazil who is going to turn 100 years old. And a former president of the center who is almost 90, 90 years old asked me, Bavanissa, they want me to go, go back to the presidency, but I'm too old. And then we asked, if God thought you were too old, you didn't need to stay here, you wouldn't be here. If you're here, go. Go. Work. Because that's why you're still incarnated. If you need to take that position, go. Because the young generations will need you. If you need to be the present again, so be it. Don't give me that story about I'm going to step down so other people do it. You know why? Because that has another name, laziness. I don't want to do what I have to do. And I give an excuse. So... And do not worry about the work that belongs to the Almighty God. Above all, do not forget that our task should not be transferable. Our task should not be transferable so we can achieve perfect dignity in our souls. John will also be old and his hair will turn white due to his profound experiences. John will also be old and his hair will turn white due to his profound experiences. And actually, prophetically, that happened. And John learned in his own skin what it was to feel old because he lived quite a long life. Mm. And Jesus is so loving and consoling. He turns to Simon the Zealot the elderly one from the group of the disciples, and says, Do not feel hurt by the talk of youth here on earth. In the, in the world, the flower can be the beginning of the fruit, but it can also adorn the procession of illusions. Remember, the flower is the symbol Jesus is using for youth. It can be the beginning of the fruit or the procession of illusions. When you're surrounded by the noise of youth, love those who show interest in work and in reflection, and at the same time, do not stop smiling in a similar way at the frivolous and fickle, because they are children who require care. They are bees who do not yet know how to make honey. They are bees who do not yet know how to make honey. He's saying, those teenagers, young adults, who are not producing much, smile to them and think they are bees who don't know yet how to produce money. Uh, yeah, money. <laughs> honey, <laughs> bees that can now make honey. Hello, Gustavo. 
forgive their aimless enthusiasm, as we should forget the impulses of a boy who lacks awareness of his first days of life. We keep repeating this image that Jesus keep, gives to us. Let's look at people who don't know yet, like we look at our children. You know, they don't know yet. Okay, they will. I remember when we started this, this works in the spiritist, uh, the spiritist works in English, many people would look at us and think it was crazy in the United States to say spiritism in English, believe it or not. And uh, today it's almost becoming second nature everywhere in the United States. Almost. We're getting there. Why? Because it's what it has to be. Simon, let us clarify things to them. Do not think that someone else would be able to do your divine work. Do not think that someone else would be able to do your divine work. And again, do not think that someone else would be able to do your divine work. Do not think that someone else would be able to do your divine work. You are unique, Jesus is saying. Don't stop. Do what you have to do and help others doing what they have to do. The effort shall be yours. Go forth and take heart. An old person without hope in God is a sad brother of the light. And I bring to the world the bright rays of an everlasting day. So saying, hope always, even to those who have aging bodies. We have been there before in previous lives. This is not the first time we're aging. Big deal. What is important is that we keep working, keep working, keep working. Not working for financial rewards, but being useful in whatever possible way. Returning to his humble home, our dear friend Simon the Zealot found James, the son of Cleophas, by the lake shore speaking to some young people appealing to them passionately. When they saw Simon, the youngest apostle did not offend him, but he referred to Simon's age in passing in order, in order to reinforce his exhortation to his fellow fishermen. Simon, however, without experiencing any hint of jealousy, recalled the teachings of the Master, and as soon as things got quiet and he noticed that James was alone, he said to him gently, You see, the Christ-conscious person speaks lovingly, kindly, gently, firmly, but gently. James, my brother, do you think that the Spirit has an age? If God were to count the time as we count, would not he be the oldest of the whole of creation? What men of this world were presumed to be equal to the Almighty God? A youngster would be a unable to accomplish his task on earth if he did not have the experiences of his parents behind him. Let us not detain ourselves in age. Let us forget the circumstances and only remember the sacred purposes of our lives.
In listening to those remarks, what happened? They, our dear friend here, James, said, you're right. And the old apostle did not wait for any explanation from James and gave him a hug. Gave him a hug. This is a true disciple of Jesus. He expresses his emotion without fear. I'm going to give a hug. But what is that person going to think? What they're going to think? That we're children of God? That we need affection? I'm saying give a hug in an appropriate time, of course. And this was very appropriate. They were friends. Give a hug. He smiled at James, making them both understanding. And once and for all, they should forget about that minute of divergence so that they might unite even more in Jesus Christ. Many people talk about union, unity of, you know, efforts. But, you know, the reality is we are only united in work together. And when we do, we need to be sincere. We can't play game, ba games. We can't use people. We can't play tricks on them. Mm -hmm. The afternoon when the Messiah started to teach about the wisdom of the kingdom of God, Simon the Zealot noticed that two children were wandering around the beach and enveloped by a new light that flowed from the teachings of the Master, their mother had not noticed that the children had wandered off, passing beyond the first waves of the shallow waters. While the old fisherman paid attention to the preaching and to the other needs of the moment, he also watched the two little ones and followed them. Kindly talking to them, Simon took the kids and set them on a rock. When the meeting was over, Simon returned them to their mother, who expressed joy and sincere appreciation. Yeah, we need to give mothers a break, play with their kids, whomever wants come and play with Virginia. I would really appreciate it <laughs> to give mother more room for sleep, for rest, <laughs> for work. I'm just kidding, but I understand the mother's appreciation. Inspired by a strange force in his soul, the disciple realized that the happiness of that afternoon would not have been complete if the two children had vanished in the boundless waters, which would separate them forever from their mother's loving arms. There was sincere bliss at the core of his spirit. With Christ, he understood the pleasure of serving, the joy of being useful. Stop, 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 stop. Moment, pause. Breathe in and out, and feeling the scriptures. Let's feel it. With Christ, Simon the Zealot, the elderly one, he understood that the the pleasure of serving, pleasure of serving, pleasure of serving, pleasure of serving. I know some of us, or all of us here, are already familiar with the feeling, but do we have awareness of it? That there is pleasure in serving? Because we often think that serving is sacrificial. 
But now Jesus is teaching us something new. That there is pleasure in suffering. An inner reward. Did you know that we have this descendant endogenous pathway in our nervous system? If you activate it, it's going to produce analgesia and good feelings. Endorphins are going to be liberated, etc. Did you know it? Yeah. I'm sharing this with you because when we are serving, there is an inner mechanism of reward. We're stimulating areas that also are rewarding us in it. And recently, science in the last 10 years has proved to us that those who help others, those who volunteer, those who are more altruistic, they are happier and they are healthier. So some people say, the day I heal, I'm going to help others. Don't wait for anything. Do it now. Because tomorrow we never know. But there is a joy in being useful. We often think that useful is boring. Because it's just like fulfillment of the duty. But actually, there's joy in fulfillment. How often you fulfill a duty and you're like, I'm going to say something very silly. But true. Truth, truthful. You clean the home and you feel that joy after cleaning because it feels better. Everything is more organized. Everything feels cleaner and neat. Mm -hmm. Joy of being useful. We read a book, we feel joyful because it's useful. You are working diligently at work and you feel the joy of being useful. That night, Simon the Zealot had a glorious dream for his humble son, soul. And this is what we call in the spirit book, part two, the chapter about sleeping dreams. This type of dream here is the one about the emancipation of the soul was a true experience in the spiritual realm, which can happen to us every day, opportunities like this, as long as we pray and we're willing. But that night, Simon the Zealot had a glorious dream for his humble soul. Falling asleep with a happy conscience, Simon dreamt that he was meeting with the Messiah on the top of a mountain, which was bathed in brilliant light. Jesus embraced him with kindness, and thanked him for the brotherly clarification that he provided James for his sake. Jesus also expressed his appreciation for his tender care of the two unknown children, as this was, as this was done for the love of his name. Friends, even when we're going to sleep, Jesus can be there. Because that's what happened to Simon. He put the body to sleep. And he had a dream. When you study about dreams in the Spirit's book, we're going to learn that there are many different types of dreams. But there is a definition in Spiritism about dreams, which is also very revolutionary. Dreams are what? Recollection of spirit activity. Our activity as spirits. 
which may be reflections about previous lives. It can be uh, possible prophetic knowledges like Joseph, Joseph, the Hebrew, who was sold by his brothers due to jealousy and envy, and then later he became the one that got people out of trouble because of his prophetic dreams, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, dreams can be actually when we meet people, like in spirit. Mm -hmm. Read that part in the spirit book. Don't dismiss dreams, but don't go crazy about them, obsessing about them either. Observe the facts, as Kardec re reminds us, and analyze the language. That's all that is. And Jesus, even there, he embraces with kindness. He is grateful. He is caring. This is Jesus. Hello, Rita de Cassia. This is our Jesus. Kindness, embracing, being grateful. Whereas we have to be grateful. Finally, as we wrap up this beautiful chapter, the disciple felt blessed during that sublime moment. And Jesus showed him the entire world from the top of that prodigious mountain. And you know, it's very symbolic to be on the top of a mountain with Jesus because it's when we have clear conscience. We are there, we can see clear. There are no clouds, there are no obstacles. You have the advantage of being at a good location to understand the panorama of life, right? So here we have, uh, then suddenly the old fisherman was astonished to realize that he was seeing the landscapes of the future. The immense human family was passing before his amazed eyes. Everyone was looking at the master with grateful and glaring eyes, full of love. Children were calling him faithful friend. Youth were calling him heavenly truth. And the elderly were calling him the sacred hope. Simon woke up feeling indefinable joy. That morning before going to work, Simon looked for the Lord and kissed them, the humble, his humble tunic, jubilantly exclaiming, Master, now I understand you. He kissed Jesus' own tunic and expressed his understanding. Jesus looked at him with love and said, Simon, in fact, it does not matter whether one is young or old in this world. Above all, the most important thing is to be one with God. It doesn't matter being young or old. What matters is that we are one, together, aligned with God. Being useful, always, always. Being hopeful, always. Right? How do you feel, friends? If you were feeling old before we began, now I, I think possibly you're feeling younger than ever. Because <laughs> after this Jesus explanations about old age, we're like, you know, piece of cake. We're going to rejoice each and every minute. Very emotional, right, Rita de Cassia? 
very emotional. Let me read these words again. He's saying your name. Like he said, Simon. He's saying now your name. In fact, it does not matter whether one is young or old in this world. Above all, the most important thing is to be one with God. To be one with God. Are we one with God already? Are we? Finding ways to be useful constantly. Some people ask us, but why do you belong to this organization, help the other one, the other one, the other one? Because friends, it just makes so much sense that we occupy our time in a useful manner for everybody, not only us. Right? But what is most important, Jesus says, to be one with God. To be one with God. To be one with God. <sighs> it feels good. We need to meditate upon this. Jesus was very loving, very caring. And we need to share this, that when we are really one with God, we are in harmony. And everything that is harmonious is beautiful, is beautiful. So we need, as I learned today from the breakdown by Eddie Christie in the Spiritist Society of Washington, which is a new group in Washington, D.C., he tells us, he told us, that the spiritist concept, and you can read that in a book by Leon Denis, the concept of beauty relies upon this concept of being in harmony with the divine. So we need to constantly find this beauty, this harmony. Love for, love beauty. Right? And what is beauty? Harmony. He's saying, it doesn't matter, young or old, but being useful, harmonious, always working together with our Father. I hope we're all feeling more hopeful now than before. We hope that we're all feeling rejuvenated, rejuvenated, and we'll stop talking about, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. No, that doesn't matter anymore. I am godly. I am connected. Right? Feeling good? This is the fountain of youth. When you are with Jesus, you're drinking from this honey that rejuvenates us. No wonder Divaldo Franco is looking younger, younger, and younger. <laughs> I want that too. What do we need to do? The most important thing is to be one with God. That's the fountain of youth. Ready to be rejuvenated more deeply tomorrow because we need to give another step. Chapter 10 is going to be about forgiveness. Da -da -da -da. Let's wait. For now, big kiss, hug of gratitude. Let's have a beautiful night encountering the Master and sharing this good news. After all, we're here in this 30 days of good news with the Master. Much gratitude. A beautiful day or night.
Kardec Radio listener. The following inspirational message was taken from chapter 40 of the book Happy Life by the spirit author Joanna de Angelis, psychographed by Devaldo Franco. If someone is being accused of something, keep your silence. Most people have no idea what preceded events that occur. Things are not always as they seem, but rather are in keeping with an inner reality. Do not join in the chorus of accusers. The criminal and the unfortunate sinner deserve, at the very least, consideration and a chance at re-education. Dear Kardec Radio listeners, welcome to our first program of God at Home. My name is Nahur Fonseca. And I am Gabi Ferreira. Today we're going to talk about how we can transform our homes into a workshop of happiness. First, let's think for a second of what our evenings are like in our homes. We arrive home from work, we go to the kitchen to have something, we strike a conversation with our partner, our children. Or maybe we're just too tired, watch some TV to relax, do some work around the house, and then go to sleep so the next day can begin. Have you ever stopped to observe what kind of conversation we have with our family members? Or the kind of programs you watch on TV? Are we perpetuating some bad habits in our home? If so, what can we do to transform our house into a workshop of happiness for a lifetime. In the book Jesus in the Home by the Spirit Neo Lucio, psychographed by Chico Xavier, we're going to find many lessons of how to do just that. In the first chapter, Neo Lucio describes a scene that could be found in any of our homes. Jesus was staying at Peter's house for the time being, and at some point, the course of the conversation had become unproductive and unedifying. In what follows, we will hear what Jesus did to begin the work of world peace. Simon, what does the fisherman do before he goes to the market with the day's catch? Well, of course, master, he chooses the best fish. No one would buy the others. And the potter, what does he do when he wants to make a piece? Obviously, lord. He molds the clay and gives it the form he wants. And what does the carpenter do to accomplish the project he proposes? He planes the wood, and then he uses the adze, the saw, the hammer, and the chisel. Otherwise, he could not shape the unformed piece. Jesus didn't say anything for a few moments, and then explained. This may also be said of the home. The home is the first school and temple of the soul. The home is the true exporter of individuals for community life. If the merchant selects his merchandise, if the shipbuilder cannot build a boat without shaping the wood according to plan, how can one hope for a safe and peaceful community unless the home becomes a better place? World peace begins under the roof that shelters us. 
If we can't learn to live in peace within four walls, how can nations expect to coexist in harmony? If we can't love the brother or sister right next to us and who is involved with us in our daily struggle, how can we revere the Eternal Father who seems so far away? Jesus was teaching a lesson to Peter and his family, and it's also applicable to us and our loved ones. We gather around the table of our houses every day to receive the bread that nourishes our body. Why not unite the family once more around the table to nourish our souls? When the family prays together, our spiritual benefactors will join us and give us the assistance we need. When the family prays together, it will fill the home with peace and love. And as the grains of sand form the endless beaches, the world peace will be a reality when the majority of us learn to live in peace within the four walls of our houses. With this in mind, let us set aside 30 minutes every week to pray or meditate around a teaching of Christ or any noble spiritual teacher. Make it into a habit. The habits acquired at home last a lifetime and are transferred beyond the body. Make your home a workshop where happiness lives. I know it's said that they're not here It feels like life is not worth living Because they take a piece of our hearts away with them What if I said they're not really gone? What if I said they're just beyond your sight? They're not lost in the stars And sometimes not even far from you but they hear your voice And they feel your pain You don't have to take my word on that Just listen to the messages they've left They're back to let us know they
of how they care even more about the things that really matter. They're not lost in the stars, and sometimes not even far from you. But they hear your voice and they feel your pain. You don't have to take my word on that. Just listen to the messages they They're back to let us know they live Beyond the curtain of tears Beyond the illusions of this world They're back to let us know they live Welcome to RES, Youth Education Noise Spiritism with Kardec Radio. I am Bernadette Liao, and I'll be spending a few minutes with you, inspiring to bring spiritual awareness and the spiritist teachings to our youth, parents, and educators. Today, we will talk about dealing with unexpected events. Dear listeners, we can all relate to a moment in our lives when something unexpected happened. You know, maybe we were driving a car and someone hit us. We received a phone call with sad news, an unexpected illness, we lost our job or something important. Life is always presenting us with surprises. Little ones, big ones, happy ones, and sad ones. Dealing with unexpected events is a normal part of life, and if you are a parent, you're very well familiar with it. Is a child getting sick in the middle of the night, a call from school, an accident, siblings fighting? Being a parent fulfills what John Lennon said. Life is what happens to you, while you are busy making other plans. So no matter how many plans you may have, it can change in a split of a second when you have a child, right? Changes and unexpected events are in fact great lessons, because it teaches us patience and that we are not always in charge. There are occurrences in our lives that are simply out of our control. But how we choose to respond to them is the real lesson. And if we are able to handle peacefully whatever comes our way without freaking out, 
when something unexpected happens, we feel disappointed, tired, worried, frustrated, sad. But lingering to those negative feelings for too long or overreacting is not healthy and will not solve the problem. When we overreact, we forget one important thing that life in the flesh is temporary, that all pain and challenges shall pass and that every moment is important. So when something happens, embrace and handle it the best you can with gratitude. There is always something positive coming out of it, even if we may not see it at the moment. Ask yourself, how would Jesus respond to what happened right now? I remember one day when I was asked to move to another classroom at the school I worked. If you are a teacher or have been in an elementary school teacher classroom, you probably know how much material there is in that room how much material teachers accumulate throughout the years. So, after two exhausting days packing everything and having all my boxes piled up outside the room, guess what? I found out that there was a problem and I could no longer move to the new classroom and I was asked to go back to my classroom, unpack, and move everything back after all the work that I had done. Really, I thought for a moment, very frustrated. Well, something unexpected happened and caught me by surprise, and yes, I was not very happy. But I had a choice. I had the choice to waste my time and energy complaining and getting mad or accept and move back to my room feeling grateful that at least I had a job. And that's what I chose. In fact, it was great because before putting everything back the way it was, I was finally able to do a deep cleaning in that room that was way overdue and start everything fresh and smelling good. Plus, I was so grateful to realize all the material I had to teach my students and which I had forgotten, misplaced, and that I took for granted. So in the end, everything that happened was actually a blessing in disguise. Also, being a teacher and working with children made me realize that many children do not know how to handle unexpected events and that parents should teach them and practice with them that things can change overnight because it's an important skill to have in life. Children have high expectations about their day. They expect that 
Everything will be awesome, with only great things happening but soon. They see that this is not always the case, and that beautiful sunny picture that they painted may have some clouds and even thunders. There are days in which they have to deal with disappointment, frustration, anger, sadness, and they do not know how to deal and handle them in a positive way. Here's an example. In my classroom, after grading some of my students' tests, I usually sit with each one of them showing their grades, what they have missed, and we create a plan so I can help them to improve by reteaching the lesson and giving them um, some extra work to practice. Their reactions vary, but they are all very surprised when they see that they got a low grade. Some of them start to cry and cannot move on, spending the rest of the day sad. A few of them get so, so upset that they have to go to the nurse's office because their stomach hurts. And just one or two choose to handle it positively. And they want to work on a plan to improve and learn what they have missed. Adults are not too far from children and how they choose to handle life surprises. They get stuck on what happened, blame others, complain, they do not accept, they are negative, living in the past and not realizing that the unexpected may be what his or her spirit needed to grow. And sometimes the unexpected is something that we created and attracted. There is a story of a young man and only child who suddenly broke his leg and was frustrated because he could not work on the farm to help his parents. But later, he was excused from joining the army and the war because of his condition. So no matter how hard a situation may seem, there is always something good and a lesson to learn from it. Plus, have faith in God, knowing that you are not alone. Everything happens for a reason. Chapter 8, Item 20 of the Gospel According to Spiritism enlightens us by saying, quote, Have hope and courage, and hold fast to your faith. If I were to say, my child, your eyes will open, you would be filled with joy. But who knows if your joy wouldn't be the cause of a great loss, unquote. Kardec radio listeners, the unexpected is actually a call for us to look at ourselves and change, practice patience, develop strength and be more positive. It is a call to make us grow, 
So let's embrace the challenges and life surprises with gratitude and faith. And let's teach this to our children as well. As Richard Baugh once said, quote, The events we bring upon ourselves, no matter how unpleasant, are necessary to learn what we need to learn. Whatever steps we take, they are necessary to reach places we've chosen to go. Unquote. Thank you for listening to Yes, and if you have any questions that would like us to answer in this segment, please email them to Kardec at kardecradio.com. Thank you for listening to Kardec Radio. Broadcasting live every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Email us and share your comments at www.cardecradio.com. Until next time, we wish you many blessings.